What's good, and welcome to Sons of Saturday Irish with Tyler Rojak and Luke Smith. It's good to be back doing one of these. It's been just over a month since our last episode. I guess you can call it our summer break, even though it wasn't really a break at all, because here's a quick life update to explain our absence. Um, I don't work at ESPN anymore. I actually haven't for a few months now, but I realized I never actually mentioned it here on this podcast. Uh, I started a new job back in March at a sports production company called Religion of Sports, and as part of that, I had to move to Los Angeles, which I did over Memorial Day weekend, and this is where I'll be for the foreseeable future. So shameless plug, go check out our stuff. Luke, you're also in the middle of a career change, so feel free to share with the listeners what's been going on with you over the last few weeks. I think one of the first things I ever said on this podcast, and I, I got a lot of, of grief for it, um, talking about working in consulting, and I said we don't like to live in absolutes. Well, I'm no longer not living in absolutes. Uh, I am now working in more of a tech role. Uh, started that about, I guess, two weeks ago now. Um, but yeah, I'm still living in Chicago, so that much hasn't changed, but, uh, definitely kind of just adjusting to a new role. So we'll use that as a built-in excuse for kind of why we didn't really do anything the last month. Um, and all the while we, we really kind of let a lot of stuff pile up. A lot has happened. Um, but you know, also Woj isn't giving himself enough credit here. Really cool company, religion of sports that he's at. Um, definitely check it out. Started uh, jointly by Tom Brady and Michael Strahan, if I'm not mistaken. So definitely give that that a look. Um, but that's kind of what I've been up to, and you know, I'm really looking forward to enjoying this summer. But I am starting to get a bit of an itch, um, ready to get back for for what should be a normal, so to speak, Notre Dame football season. Yeah, you're right. And as it turns out, moving from Connecticut to California is actually a lot more difficult. Then I thought, but you're right. There's a lot that sort of piled up and some of it even recent. So we have a ton to get to today. So there's no guest. We've got the big news regarding college football playoff expansion, plus some roster updates, most notably the addition of Kane Madden, the All-American guard who joined the roster as a grad transfer from Marshall. Then we'll discuss Notre Dame Stadium being back to full capacity, some discussion on the national media projections for the Irish this year. And uh, we'll close with some recruiting updates because this is an unprecedented time in college football recruiting. So we'll get to all that, but first, the playoff expansion. Just seven years after the college football playoff replaced the BCS, the four-team playoff is likely to expand to 12 teams starting in the year 2023. Last week, a college football playoff working group, which included Notre Dame AD Jack Swarbrick, formally recommended expanding the four-team field to 12 teams. The 12 teams would include the six highest-ranked conference champions plus the six highest-ranked other teams determined by the CFP rankings. So technically, no conference champion gets an automatic bid, but, and this is the part that generated the biggest reaction, at least from Notre Dame fans, the four highest-ranked conference champions would be seeded one through four and receive a first-round buy. Now, under these rules, Notre Dame would be ineligible for the buy because they're an independent. So even if they were to go undefeated and finish the season ranked in the top four, the highest seed that they would be eligible for is fifth. Teams 5 through 12 would play each other in the first round in the home field of the higher-ranked teams. Then the quarterfinals and semifinals would be played in bowl games. And the national championship game will remain at a neutral site. Now, this isn't official yet, technically. Uh, the 10 conference commissioners and Jack Swarbrick will actually meet later on this week to discuss the format, but all signs point to there being a consensus among the group. Luke, it's been a couple of days, but I know you were awfully riled up quite a bit by this proposal. Now that some time has passed since the announcement, how do you feel about the proposed expansion and maybe more specifically Notre Dame's place in it all? Fuck this. Um, <laughs> 
I mean, and listen, if you're with your kids listening to this right now, this one is probably going to be less family friendly than others because it has been about a week now, but I am still pretty fired up about this along with some of the other stuff we're going to talk about in this episode. But listen, for a long time, we've boasted about others bending the knee to us. And for the first time, that didn't happen. Uh, One of two things happened. Swarbrick either lost the negotiations or he just straight up conceded that it's impossible for Notre Dame to win a national championship in that era. Instead, he he just took the extra revenue of hosting a home playoff game in exchange as a win. I'm not happy about this at all. Uh, It feels like some group of five Cincinnati type shit treatment. Um, You don't need to, you know, I, I just don't get it. You need to create a model that has some leeway for common sense. And this does not at all. This model would hypothetically go into place in 2023. Look at Notre Dame's 2023 season. We play both Clemson and Ohio State. If we beat both of them and go undefeated, however, those two end up being ACC and Big Ten champs, respectively, they would be seated above us. That's absolutely asinine. Uh, I, I just don't understand how that didn't come up in the discussion room. And, like, you can't give me Swarbrick's one of. 12 people, because while that's true, he was one of four people on the working proposal himself. So that's why I'm not happy, mainly. like I just felt like this feels a little bit of a concession. Um, And I think what really made me even angrier is some of the reaction from beat writers about this, saying it's a huge win for Notre Dame, saying we should be thrilled or pumped about this best case scenario. Like I could accept some indifference over this, but who the hell is excited about this? Making the playoffs with 12 teams is nowhere near the experience or accomplishment of making a 14 playoff. Now, if we don't make the playoff, it's, it's kind of a dog shit season. I mean, that's, that's pretty much it. Like, well, meanwhile, this year we go 10 and two, 11 and one and miss the playoff and then make a new year's six bowl. I think I'd be okay with that as with many, but by the way, like access to the playoff with four teams was never an issue for us. We were one of five schools making up 78% of all-time playoff bids, so Jack Swarbrick, don't try to sell me on how good this is for access. It's not the same thing, and you know that, and I don't think, it's just offensive if you think we're this stupid to buy this. So I'm pissed, right? I want to win a fucking national championship, not a first-round playoff game in South Bend in December against Coastal Carolina. And if you think that that's going to, I saw some people on Twitter saying that's going to improve recruiting, seeing a home playoff game at South Bend. You're really, really, really I don't know what, what world you're living in, but nobody's getting excited over that. So that was a lot. Um, like I mentioned, this is not going to be normal. Um, I'm going to be a little upset throughout this because I still am, but that's how I feel about it. Clearly a very touchy subject. And look, I think we've both been pretty adamantly opposed to CFP expansion for some time now. Um, so you want about the committee, like they've gotten it right every single year with the four teams and the best team has won it all pretty much every single year. But I just mm-hmm. recently started to come around to the idea of an eight team playoff because, you know, this way more teams get involved. And even though I'm sure we'd see a lot of the same overmatched teams get blown out, if it creates more interest and more people feel like they're a, a part of the party, uh, for lack of a better term, then sure. You know what? I, I'm down. I just hate the fact that there are 12 teams because let's be honest, there's just not 12 teams in college football in any given no. year who are capable of winning the national championship. So it takes away from the greatest regular season in sports to give teams like, I don't know, Coastal Carolina or UCF the illusion that they have a chance, even though everyone knows that they don't. Like they're going to get throttled at some point. And as for Notre Dame's place in it, I don't feel as strongly about it as you. I definitely don't look at it as some 
giant win for the program that some people were making it out to be, like you said. Instead of looking at it as a concession, I just see it as more of a compromise. I'm sure that Swarbrick tried to to get... I hope Notre- so. Yeah. I mean, we could assume he's a logical dude, and he probably tried to get Notre Dame to get the buy. So when I tried to take a step back, look at it objectively as possible, the one thing I just kept falling back to is like the one universal truth in anything, not just college football, is that money is going to rule everything here. That's what this is all about. They can say it's about the student-athletes, whatever. We all know that's a lie. It's about the money. In this case, what's generating the revenue? Most of it. I think the conference commissioners are super, I guess you could say, maybe not insecure, but they're super protective of the sanctity of conference championships. And you and I agree, we think they're stupid. They only matter when they want to matter. But the conference commissioners need those games to matter in order to build revenue via ticket sales and via TV ratings. And it seems like in this expanded playoff, if you're not going to give an automatic bid to the Power Fives, that they really need that conference championship game to equate to something. Again, I'm not saying I necessarily agree with it, but this is sort of the line of thinking that I think these conference commissioners had. And I think Swarbrick was sort of up against it where he realized he was in the minority. And if you're trying to convince these conference commissioners that, hey, we're, we should deserve a bye even though we're not playing in a conference championship game, if that's the thing that these guys care more, most about, and remember he's outnumbered 1 to 10, I think he just had a compromise there and say, well, it's either join a conference or relinquish this possibility for a buy. And I think that this is just the route that Swarbrick decided to go. I, I get that sentiment, but it's just ridiculous to me that people think that Ohio State playing the fighting Pat Fitzgeralds or Oregon playing the fighting Herm Edwards is in a conference championship game in quotes is the same as playing another playoff game. And let's not forget that all these schools play like an FCS school every year. So that's not a real game either. I mean, we're playing the same amount of games. Um, I'm sick of that. I think the bigger part, like you take Notre Dame outside of this, and I know you want to get to this. There aren't 12 teams in college football any year that are capable of winning a national championship. And this isn't going to help parity at all. It's still the three at the top. And by that, I mean Alabama, Clemson, and Ohio State. And then you had the people in the next sentence where I would put Notre Dame, Oklahoma, Georgia. Um, I'm sure there's some other schools I would like to yeah, be in LSU. that. But yeah. Um, this isn't going to help parity. Just think of the depth that Clemson and Alabama have built up. And I think really the only way you get to that level of parity is by reducing scholarship limits across teams. That's never going to happen, obviously. But this isn't going to do it. And anybody that thinks it is – I don't know what they're living. Like, what are they thinking? This is just going to create more blowouts. Sure, some of those five twelve games will be fun in the first round, but then you just get back to what we had before, where it's still blowouts on blowouts. So, I don't really get it. Um, I don't like it, and I, I think we just need to call it what it is. It's a money grab, right? Yeah, absolutely, a money grab at a time when, for the first time in years, and this is a result of not only the pandemic but the outrageous spending being done by the athletic departments to portray the image that they don't have any money so that they can't give to the athletes. This has been going on for years. This is anything new. But now all of a sudden, I think a lot of athletic departments are actually kind of tight for money right now. So yeah, this seemed inevitable. Well, expansion always seemed inevitable, but going from four to 12 this quickly, I was surprised by it. Now, I guess going back to Notre Dame's stance of this, the way that people have been talking about Notre Dame's place in it, like it seemed like the next logical step was eight teams, right? And there was some talk that it'd be like the five, you get five automatic bids to the power five champions and then maybe three at large or maybe even like a guaranteed spot for 
um, a non-Power 5 team, which always, I, I think any automatic bid is just stupid because if you want a playoff to determine the best team, why would you not put the eight best teams in there? That just seems to make too much sense, clearly. But again, they want to make the conference championships matter, so so be it. It seems like a lot of people understood that an 18 playoff would mean just two or maybe three at-large bids, which would probably not bode that well for Notre Dame. I never looked at that as like a near certainty. So maybe they think like, well, this is what it was going to be. Now that it's going to 12, Notre Dame is actually in a much better position simply because there's more access because there's six at-large bids. I don't know. Did you sort of interpret it that way? Because I guess I never did, but judging by the reaction, maybe that's what they were referring to. I don't really know. I think you're probably right. But the thing is, like, I think Notre Dame are always new in the current format that they pretty much had to go undefeated to make the playoff or maybe could lose one game, and they were okay with that. I think the same would have been true in an eight-team format even with those auto bids. So, like, I don't think that really changes that much for Notre Dame. That was the position they always had. This, though, like, it just really creates such a, an obstacle to actually winning the damn thing. And Swarbrick's explanation for it all was, was such faulty logic. And, like, it, if you really think Notre Dame grads or really anybody is going to buy that shit, I, I don't know what you're thinking. The 13th data point one? Well, yeah, well, that. But he also said that Alabama and Oklahoma put their positions at risk by playing in conference championship games. And so the first round for Notre Dame basically functions as the same. No, it doesn't. It's double elimination versus single elimination. Because if they lose the conference championship game, they're still making the playoff. If we lose the first round, we're out. Like, that's it. So I I don't get why you would think that. And then, yes, to your point, the 13th data point, that's never going away. That's always going to be a thing. Like, if Notre Dame's 10-2 and and fighting for the last spot against a 10-2 and Wisconsin team that then loses – in the Big Ten championship game and is 10-3, and three, is that Wisconsin team going to be punished for playing in extra games, so to speak? I, I mean, that, I'm sure that'll be debated. So to think that that's going to go away is just incredibly naive. I agree, and I think we'll, we'll see what happens. Uh, we've always thought that the one thing that could essentially force Notre Dame to join a conference would be um, the college football playoff and expansion. I definitely do think, though, that like with six at-large bids, Notre Dame's independence is even more secure um, compared to any other discussion about the playoff now. So how do you feel about that? Do you think Notre Dame's independent for at least the course of the you know 12-team playoff as long as that's going on? I do, and I've thought about this a little bit the last couple days. I think Pete Sampson wrote an article a couple years ago really explaining – Notre Dame's independence, obviously explaining that they make less money from that than they would by joining a conference, but just how important it is to their own brand. And, and there's no denying that. However, I, I think an angle you had to look at is like part of the big appeal for them being independent is being able to go to different parts of the country where they can cater to alumni all across the country. And that's obviously a moneymaker too, being able to make your own schedule and, and, like not even just for the football program, for the school. Uh, you can have all these different Notre Dame Club of San Diego events or Boston's such and such, and, and you're making money you know, hand over fist that way. Part of me feels like by staying independent, um, it, it almost, it, it sh- once again, just kind of shows a greater commitment to actually, you know, bringing in more cash and actually committing to win a national championship. Like I, I just don't get it. They, they keep saying we're committing there. We want to get this top five recruiting class. But 
if that's really the case, then why did you just make it exponentially harder for yourself to win a national championship by agreeing to this format? I mean, that's, that's pretty much the only thing to me. Like I, I, it's so, so much harder. And you can say, well, if they're the best team, they'll win it anyways. Sure. But I think we both know that the likelihood of Notre Dame being (laughs) the best team in a college football season in the next decade at least is is slim to none it was always going to take a perfect shitstorm of random stuff happening some of those powers operating at lower and us operating at, at our peak and then some luck too for that to happen and like that when you add another round into that it just it just makes it even more difficult for us to to attain that so I, I didn't want to rant but I'm now doing that again <laughs> but but it's just I, I feel very strongly about how difficult this has made for us to win a national championship. And and while we're closer than we've ever been in our lifetimes, respectively, I think to, to competing for that, it also feels like we're further away than ever in our lives, lifetimes for actually to actually win the thing because of just the current format and, and the way it's going. Okay. One counter to the point that you just made where it's unlikely. And I agree with this, that Notre Dame is going to be um, the most talented team which we, I think everyone can sort of agree that's probably not going to happen. At least, you know, one through 85 on the roster, they're not going to have the depth that the top teams do. This isn't anything new. We've been over this a bunch of times. But that being the case, it's rare that Notre Dame is in that top four. So I guess the situation in which Notre Dame is really hurt by this and their lack of a buy, it's probably not going to happen that often. Notre Dame now at this point, like you said earlier, making the playoff, is absolutely the expectation now. Like we used to say it before when it was a four-team playoff, which is like, yeah, kind of true, but I don't think everyone actually believed that Notre Dame should make the playoff every single year or really expected it to happen. They might want it, but everyone kind of knew that really wasn't um, completely feasible. Now it's like an absolute must. Yeah. You know, if Notre Dame doesn't make a 12-team playoff, that's pretty sad, at least given the state of the program right now. So I guess my last point on this, um, you're Jack Swarbrick when you have to present it to the other 10 conference commissioners who now really want their conference championship to sort of solidify some sort of automatic bid. So now you have to convince the other conference commissioners, what is your primary argument? How do you convince them all that Notre Dame deserves that spot over your conference champion who just won a championship? Well, I think then you also mandate that those conferences don't play FCS schools. And then we're talking about playing the same amount of games because like an FCS school, it's not a game. It's just not. I think that's step yeah. one. Some teams and play I, too. Yeah. I mean, Alabama's November every year is an absolute joke after they play LSU. And bef- well, it's so it's LSU usually right. And then they play yeah. Auburn at the end. But and the then two FCS to three games before, between, yeah. it's, it's preposterous. It, it's not college football. Um, so I think that's, that's a point you have to make. I'm sure he did make it. Although I don't know, because that's honestly, that's not really one I've heard discussed. Like nobody really seems to talk about that anymore. I don't know why, because it's, it's so obvious to me. Um, but I, I don't know. I, I think that's part of it. And there's no denying he has a hard job. And, and by the way, even though I have been going in on him this episode, I am a very big Jack Swarbrick fan. Um, shout out his most recent hire, Link Jarrett, as we'll talk later. Had a really good run with the Irish baseball team this year. But I don't know. It's just it's really frustrating to see it shake out like that. If we actually want to win a national championship, I would have expected a better commitment or, or something that was more alignment with us. And, um, you know, I think the other thing that I, I'd like to say, just taking away 
Notre Dame from this is it, it just clearly cheapens or devalues the college football regular season at, at large. Like that's what made it so unique is that every game mattered. And now it's kind of just like every other sport. And I know you tried to counter the Notre Dame will never be, you know, kind of in one of those positions where they're a top four team, which is fair, but like it eliminates a scenario like 2015, where if we don't lose to Stanford, Obviously, Ohio State's knocked out of the playoff because of that weird loss to Michigan State. Alabama almost got knocked out that year because of a loss to Ole Miss. So, like, you can have years like that in the four-team setup where those guys have a fluke loss and it prevents them from making the playoff or, you know, our best shot at winning a national championship this past uh, century, which was if Kansas State doesn't lose to Baylor. So, like, just weird (laughs) things like that. That's never going to happen. We can't have that. So... That's that's what's a little bit sad to me is just losing that element of it. But like you said, money's king. All right. Well, like we said, this is uh, still not officially official. They'll meet later this week. And then um, there's some things that might change. Like uh, like I mentioned at the beginning, the quarterfinals are, would be as it stands and this proposal will be played um, at a bowl game. But there's some talk that maybe instead of it being at a bowl game, teams one through four will host a home game there, and then it will go to a bowl game. But still some things to figure out. But again, this isn't even taking place until 2023 at the earliest. So let's shift now to this year's team because there's been some more movement on the roster since spring ball wrapped up in April. The biggest addition for the Irish comes in the form of a dump truck as six-year guard Kane Dump Truck Madden, yes, that's his real nickname, and it fucking rules, decided to leave Marshall and join Notre Dame as a grad transfer. This is a big get. Madden is listed as 6'3", 313 pounds, so he's a certified hoss. He started more games in his career than the rest of Notre Dame's offensive line combined. He earned second-team All-American honors in 2020. The Athletic ranked him as the ninth-best player in the transfer portal. Look, there's been a lot of questions about the offensive line after losing four starters to the NFL draft. So, Luke, what kind of impact do you think Madden is going to make on this offense in 2021? Yeah, it's kind of interesting to me because I think it kind of depends on who you talk to. Uh, I've seen some people say that obviously he's like he was an All-American or second-team All-American, so he's going to start. But then you see some other people saying, I don't know, like it could still be an open competition between him and Rocco Spindler. Obviously, it's going to end up determining where Jarrett Patterson plays. He's been projected, I think, at different points this spring across tackle, guard, and center at different points, depending on what you're looking at. So more than anything, I'm just looking forward to seeing kind of what actually shakes out because that seems pretty unclear to me still. Um, I I think, gone to my head, I I believe our starting offensive line opening night is some combination of Zeke Corral, uh, Patterson at guard and then probably Fisher at tackle uh, Madden at the other guard and then Josh Lug probably if I had to guess but it, it, you kind of seen a lot of different combinations thrown out there obviously though I think adding a guy with that level of experience can only help um, so excited to see what he brings to the table but I'm still also very intrigued to see how this actually shakes out. Yeah, I thought it was an automatic plug-and-play there at right guard. That was probably the biggest question on the line coming out of camp, and he seems to be the perfect fit. I mean, say what you will about pro football focus. They graded him as the best guard and run blocker in the country after the 2020 season, so he graded out super high his experience. I see this as like a no-brainer that he starts, and I saw some fans get upset because Madden starting would hypothetically be taking away game reps from Rocco Spindler. So... 
are you rooting for them to not reach their full potential this year? That seems so idiotic. Well, I mean, that's why we should play Buckner or, you know. <laughs> exactly. Well, there was that one observer writer who su- suggested Notre Dame actually punt on this year to play young players in preparation for the future. Maybe there are more believers in that theory than I originally thought, which is pretty horrifying and is probably why Notre Dame fans don't deserve nice things. And sort of on that point, Quentin Nelson redshirted his freshman year. I think he turned out all right. Yeah, true. I think there are a little bit of concern about Kane Madden and kind of what he was asked to do at Marshall versus what he'll be asked to do just from a blocking scheme perspective at Notre Dame. Um, I don't think he pulled a whole lot at Notre Dame or sorry, at Marshall. Um, He'll have to do that a lot. Notre Dame's offense like just doesn't have kind of that same maybe quickness or or dexterity that we're used to seeing. But obviously when he gets a guy within his grip, he's going to absolutely punish him. But he just being asked to do a couple things. But, hey, if you need need some tips in in terms of pulling, uh, I think we got a pulling guard friend, uh, (laughs) one-time second district, second second team honorable mention all-district guard from New Albany, Ohio, who's who's there to help you out, Kane. So I can put you into into contact if you're listening to this episode. (laughs) That's true, and I think I'm – Notre Dame's offensive line, you, he probably sees it as just like, oh, this is my ticket to the NFL now. And he's, it's his six years. This is a grown ass man on the line. That's old. That's almost like Jalen Coleman Land still playing college basketball. And he's like a year older than me. Yeah. I'm trying to think who's another six year. Well, Chase Hounschel, although he left, he went to, he went to, did he ever play more than like two games in his six years at any school? I don't know. I think he got a <laughs> Was he on Ohio State the year that he got a ring? I don't know. We're we're sidetracked now. But anyway, yeah. <laughs> Going back to Kane Madden, I think he's going to be the most impactful transfer in recent Notre Dame history, but hopefully comes in second behind Jack Cohn. He's a really experienced <laughs> player at a position of need. It seems like a no-brainer to me, but I guess we'll see how things shake out. That's not the only news in the transfer market. Um, there was a coveted defensive back, uh, a Caleb Evans from Tulsa, who Notre Dame was rumored to be the front runners to get for a while. Um, and then he picked Missouri, which was kind of a surprise. But their new quarterbacks coach recruited Evans to Tulsa and had a bigger pool. Um, Evans was a former two-star recruit. He played pretty well at Tulsa. It looked like if he were to go to Notre Dame, he would start at boundary corner, at least compete for time. Personally, I think this is a, a big loss just in terms of depth. I don't even know if he was guaranteed to start, but we're so thin at defensive back. We're one injury away from that group even being even a more dire situation than it is already. He seemed to really enjoy the recruiting process, though, but ultimately went with the most familiar route. I don't know. I thought it was kind of weird. Yeah, a lot of weird pictures and locker rooms and like did the whole commitment ceremony. It's like you're 22 years old, man. Grow up. Um, but I mean, maybe he likes losing, clearly going to Mizzou. Um, I guess he must want to hang out at, at Fieldhouse instead of CJ's pub. So shout out to you there. But that's pretty much the only ups I can think of on Columbia, Missouri over South Bend, Indiana. Uh, so, yeah, shout out to him. How about that other guy? I, I don't even remember what school who claimed – he the had San Jose State guy, Notre Dame, and then Notre Dame was yeah. like, "Yeah, no, <laughs> we we do not want you." <laughs> <laughs> that reminds me, when I was in high school, we had this running back who he was super, super talented, but just how do I say this nicely? He was not intelligent, like at all. Yeah, <laughs> but he had this colossal misunderstanding of what being offered truly meant. And like I remember when I was a senior, he was a junior. He was trying to convince 
me and some of my friends on the team that he got offered by Urban Meyer. And then when we, you know, pried more information out of him, he literally just got a letter, like one of those like automated letters inviting him to a camp with like Urban Meyer's copied signature onto the page. We're like, Mike, that's not an offer. And then he went on an official visit to Missouri and then some recruiting, like the Missouri Mike Singer asked him how it went and he said he got an offer and it became this big news and the Missouri coach had to come out and say, we did not offer him at all. So that's at least a high school kid. I don't know what this guy from San Jose State was doing, but yeah, just a really weird thing. You'd think these transfers would have some you know, better idea of how to manage the recruitment process, but apparently not. Yeah, I, I don't know. That's definitely a wild, wild aspect to me. But but yeah, I guess that happens these days. I mean, I get it. Caleb Evans was a two-star out of high school. Clearly didn't get a lot of attention until now. But I don't know. I, I mean, I get it when high schoolers are super obnoxious about their recruitments because they're 16 and they're getting a lot of attention and it's cool. Um, let's be real. As much as I cringe when I see it, would I have done it at that age? Probably, sadly to admit. But Evans is about to be 22, dude. Like, I don't know. Uh, I guess he doesn't like it. I mean, but he must not like attention if he's going to Mizzou over Notre Dame. So I, I don't really know what. Well, I don't know what's going on up there, but clearly it's it's some interesting activity. Yeah. So it looked like Notre Dame was going to pick up a transfer defense back. It didn't happen. Now on the way out, um, sophomore wide receiver Jay Brunel is transferring from Notre Dame after three semesters. Brunel battled injuries since he arrived on campus. So he never actually had the chance to compete for playing time. He was a three-star out of Massachusetts in the class of 2020. Well, some people still proposed on Twitter that he was transferring because, you know, it's good. You should have probably played the freshman, but it's kind of hard to play somebody when they're hurt all year. Yeah, and he was probably the low or one of the lowest recruits in his class. Um, the bigger problem here is now Notre Dame has just one receiver on the roster from its 2019 and 2020 recruiting classes. Brunel is the 11th Notre Dame player to enter the transfer portal since the end of the 2020 season. I don't really see that as a big deal, but I think the fact that there's only one scholarship receiver from those two classes, that's that's indefensible. We've sort of defended the, or we've explained that we don't think that this the problem here is that guys aren't playing early, but you can't really defend that fact, I think, at Notre Dame if there's just one scholarship receiver, especially in the modern era of college football, when passing is pretty much everything and the talent at the receiver position is better than it's probably ever been. How does this happen? I don't know, but it's, it's certainly a problem for Notre Dame going forward. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely put up or shut up time for Dell Alexander. Um, otherwise he's about to get the Altry Denson treatment and get some random head coaching job at, just, I don't know, San Jose state maybe for all I know, <laughs> but um, it's kind of, it is kind of weird to me that he's still around. Uh, I mean, sh- yeah, He's definitely been given a lot of credit for the development of Boykin and Claypool. I think those guys both had a lot of natural ability coming in. So, you know, there's that. But he's not a Kelly guy. Uh, He came over from Arizona State. So it's kind of strange. Maybe players like him a lot, but I don't know. Now they're transferring out. So that's kind of hard to see. But it's it's definitely an issue. And and also our only receiver commitment in the class of – 2023, right? This Amari and Walker kid from uh, Louisiana. He was like a low, low three-star. And now he's starting to get offers from Alabama, uh, Ole Miss, also Michigan. And so it seems like that could be in danger uh, of him sticking with his Irish pledge. Um, so, you know, shout out to Dell Alexander there, I guess, for 
for noticing him early on, but now that could be an issue. So, um, yeah, I'm kind of a bit confused why he's still around. I, he probably doesn't deserve all the flack he's gotten on the internet, but definitely, definitely something there. This is a critical year for him in the receiver position entirely. I mean, so much of it banks on Kevin Austin being healthy. We've talked about that a lot, and it's it seems unfair to put so much pressure on a guy who's just been hurt for so long and you know dealing with academic issues, obviously. I just don't understand how we got to this point. Like Notre Dame has had unbelievable receivers in the past decade and a half, and we we're sort of on a great trend. I mean, we had Jeff Samarja. Golden Tate, Michael Floyd, TJ Jones, Will Fuller, Miles Boykin, and Chase Claypool. So how did it fall off so hard? I mean, recruiting is obviously a part of it, injuries, but like, I just can't believe we got to this point. And like you said, there's only one recruit currently pledged for the next class, so it's not looking like it's going to get better any any sooner. This year, this current freshman receivers class, there's a ton of pressure on them to deliver, not just... One of them, but literally all of them have to deliver. You know, Lorenzo Styles, Deion Colsey, they're going to be asked to do a lot early on in their careers. And I I don't really see a scenario in which, like, if Notre Dame isn't able to pass the ball well this season um, and the receivers are just kind of slacking, like, there's just no way that Dell is going to be back next year, right? I would think not, um, but what do I know? But, yeah, that's that's definitely kind of what I'm thinking. And, honestly, even if – like they are good this year. I could still see him being gone. Like, like just because of the <laughs> lack of depth issue that you, that you mentioned. So we'll see, but I don't know. Yeah. Last one of moving on the roster just a few days after spring ball concluded um, offensive lineman Dylan Gibbons entered his name in the transfer portal and ultimately committed to Florida state. That might seem a little bit surprising considering Notre Dame plays Florida state, the season opener, but Gibbons is a South Florida native and it's been reported that Gibbons wanted to be closer to his family because his grandfather recently had triple bypass surgery. Gibbons will have two years of eligibility left. He played in 10 games in 2020 and actually started in that game against Syracuse. He was filling in for Zeke Carell, who was filling in for Jarrett Patterson. He earned Scout Team Player of the Year in 2017, but battled injuries throughout his time at Notre Dame. So, you know, wish him the best of luck going forward. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Now, probably the best news that's happened is that Notre Dame announced that it will make all 77,622 seats of Notre Dame Stadium available for purchase for 2021 football games. Not only will the stadium be back to full capacity, but tailgating and other activities are allowed back as well. And, uh, I mean, we're both going to be at the Toledo game, right? Uh, yeah, I I don't think that I would be that... What am I talking about? I would I would be excited for for a home opener regardless, even though Toledo does diminish it a little bit. But I, I think that that'll probably make the the tailgating experience even a little bit more ex- exciting. Just kind of focusing on that instead of the game itself. But that said, being in a stadium with eighty thousand people, I'm looking forward to that again. Um, you know, the Cubs just recently went to full capacity, and Sunday night at Wrigley was probably the most fun I've had there since the 2016 playoff run. Just experiencing that, so I can only imagine what it's going to be like at Notre Dame Stadium. Um, I, I'm thrilled to get back to tailgating. I, I think the reason we all love this thing so much is the way it brings people together. And, and that was severely lacking last year. Um, I've also heard rumblings that, that levels by Avicii is a new fourth quarter pump up song. So <laughs> peace out crazy train, but that'll be good. Um, but, but yeah, I'm just excited to see people that I haven't seen in a while. Uh, I was at a wedding this past weekend with a lot of Notre Dame people and 
I actually, in Pete Sampson's athletic fan survey, made note of the thing I missed most last year was was tailgating and specifically the the, the spot we've been going to my entire life, the Orange Van, which is my parents' friends. It made the article. They brought it out to me last week, asked if that was me. I said, of course it was, and they love seeing that, and they were looking forward to get back to that. So I think just across across age groups for Notre Dame fans, everybody's looking forward to getting back to to what normal was. Yeah, I cannot wait. I'm going to be making the trip all the way from Los Angeles to watch Notre Dame play Toledo. <laughs> play which Toledo. Seems, yeah, which is ridiculous, but I cannot wait. It'll be the first home game I've been to in person since, this is crazy, since Michigan in 2018, the season over. So wow. it's been, it'll be almost three full years, which is way, way too long. No, it, it will be over three years. Yeah, it will be. That's insane. Now, honestly, the, maybe the best part of all is like, Going back to sporting events is fun. The last two I went to have been pretty brutal. Um, went to the ACC championship a few months ago with you, watched Notre Dame get pounded, an all-too-familiar scene. But most recently, I went to the Clippers-Jazz playoff game. Quick side rant here. Uh, the L.A. Clippers are a joke of an NBA franchise. <laughs> like I've been to high school games with like a more rowdy crowd, and the Clippers were down 2 nothing. I mean, they kind of dominated the Jazz, but... The worst thing about it was that despite showing my proof of vaccination to get the ticket, which I was like, oh, this is awesome. Yeah, show I'm vaccinated, sit next to people, no mask, be able to do whatever I want. No, it was it was terrible. I showed I was vaccinated, sat in a vaccinated section, and then went to just bring a beer up to my seat. And they're like, whoa, whoa, whoa you, you can't do that. You can't eat or drink at your seat. So I was like, well, what was the point of showing that I was vaccinated? Isn't this the whole deal? The lady said no. So then I had to sit in the comedy. So whatever. Just wanted to rant about that. My past couple sporting events that I've been to have not been that great. <laughs> this one, though, is poised to be a lot different. And I can't wait to see, like you said, so many other people. And just the tailgating scene is going to be so, so fun. And hopefully the weather will be nice in South Bend, at least in the you know early September. September 11th, right? Yeah, September 11th. So, yeah, no, definitely, definitely looking forward to that. And, um, I think there's a couple of early home games this year, so that's good. I like when we front-end it versus back-end it. I could do without the November home games, so uh, definitely looking forward to that. Now, summer is a time full of projections because you know there's not actual football going on. And it seems to me uh, the national media outlook is coming into focus here, and it's a little bit surprising. Um, DraftKings has Notre Dame season win total over under at nine. Some people have it as low as eight and a half. ND is nine and a half point favorites over Florida State in the season opener. Most preseason top 25 rankings have Notre Dame somewhere between six and 15, but I think we both agree preseason rankings are stupid and have more to do with the past than the current roster, so I don't really put much validity to that. But the uh, Vegas Sportsbook having Notre Dame win total at nine I thought was pretty interesting, so what's your pulse on that right now? I think people just are looking for stories to write this summer. Uh, I don't really get why there's such a lack of respect for Notre Dame nationally, other than people are bored and need things to write about. Uh, like, And just when you look at other projections, I just don't understand it. Uh, like, what the fuck's with the Iowa State love? Like, why, why are they a top 10 team? It's ridiculous to me. Do we not remember two years ago? That's the exact same roster they had. Notre Dame absolutely smacked them in the Camping World Bowl. 
And yeah, they beat a really overrated, in my opinion, Oregon team in the Fiesta Bowl, I guess it was last year. And that Oregon team, that the guy that started that game for them transferred, right? Wasn't that wasn't that the QB? And so I don't get why Oregon now is so obviously like or, or uh, so highly touted preseason as well. And and going with somebody that's actually on our schedule, North Carolina. What's what's that about? Like we we know about Sam Howell, um, but their top two receivers. And backs are gone, and like their lines are turning, but it was one of the worst lines in the country last year. They put up 34 sacks. So, hey, Bill Connolly, not all returning production is good production. Uh, maybe take count of that in your stupid fucking model next time. <laughs> but, I mean, lest we forget those guys, like with the aforementioned receivers and backs, they still got shut out by Notre Dame in the second half last year playing without Kyle Hamilton. And I don't know if you saw those like uh, rings they made where they call themselves state champs last year. It was like, oh, no, you had a, yeah, that was so yeah, bad. You had a it's better so record bad. than NC State and Duke. Congrats. So I, I just don't get, you know, why there isn't more respect for Notre Dame outside of one really wacky night in Ann Arbor that I never want to relive and I will never go back to that place. They pretty much only lose to teams now that play for or win the national championship. So I, I find that disrespectful, kind of just the preseason stuff, as well as some of the, the betting lines you talked about, um, particularly being dogs to a Wisconsin team that went four and three last year. Uh, like, yeah, they killed Illinois night one, but then Graham Mertz was extremely pedestrian following that. So I don't get that. Um, I don't get why Cincinnati is as close as it is. We just stole their defensive coordinator from them. And yeah, they have like their offensive line back, but like our strength is our front seven. So like, I, I, I just, there's not a lot of consistency and that's what bothers me the most. And Notre Dame seems to be the victim of that lack of consistency the most. So Again, I, I'm ranting a lot today, but I'm just I'm not happy with what I'm seeing. Um, and it's only June, so it, it can only get worse from here. Yeah, you referenced that Bill Connolly article. If you haven't seen it, it's on ESPN.com. And he don't read it. <laughs> well, I could summarize it. He has a model based on returning production, and in his model suggested Notre Dame go seven and five. So <laughs> take that as you may. To be honest, yeah, I read with you- that on a golf course, and I, I <laughs> sent a ball about. 500 feet to the right after I read that on my phone. I have to say, like the way that this information is coming out, it reminds me of the summer before the 2016 season. And I'm not saying that Notre Dame is due for, you know, a colossal step back, but I'm trying to look at it and see where the similarities are. I guess some people are looking at, um, you know, Notre Dame is coming off a really good year that ended unceremoniously with back-to-back losses, kind of similar to 2015 there's questions at the quarterback position, you know, a lot of roster turnover, particularly at positions at Notre Dame uh, that were Notre Dame's strengths year before. All that being said, they're dismissing the fact that since 2017, there's only four schools with a better win percentage in Notre Dame, and it's Alabama, Ohio State, Clemson, and then Oklahoma by like two games. They're barely ahead of Notre Dame. If you look at everyone on Notre Dame's schedule, Notre Dame has consistently over the past four years recruited better than every single one of those teams. So yes, they lose some guys, but they also are recruiting better. There's more talent. And Notre Dame has proven to develop better than you know 99% of the college football teams in the country. And to just sort of dismiss the stability of the past four years, it seems irresponsible. And like you said, maybe they're just tired of it. And, and now don't get me wrong. Notre Dame is probably due for an upset. As, as much as it sucks, it's part of the college football hell. And Urban Meyer-led Ohio State team lost by 29 to Purdue in and 2019. Like 30, 30 yeah. to Iowa, right? Like so, yeah. Before. 
I'm not saying Notre Dame is upset proof, but like, well, I it, have said that. You, that's true. You, I think you said on this podcast. Too, <laughs> yeah, so on I did. Record. Okay, a little bold there. So yeah, maybe Notre Dame's due for one upset, but based on what the lines are seeing, Notre Dame is probably going to be favored in all but one game. So to suggest that they're going to get upset three times potentially. I, I don't know. I try to be objective. I just don't see it at all. It seems ridiculous. Yeah, it's it's really just like, and you look at that schedule. I can't believe I'm referencing Bill Connolly's thing again, but like he gave Notre Dame a 53% chance to beat Virginia Tech. All due respect to our friends over at Virginia Tech, that is an absolute dumpster fire team this year. They, they'll be lucky to win six games. Um, I mean, that's just, I don't get that at all. And you just more broadly look at Notre Dame's record, against unranked teams the last, what, four years. They've won 32 straight games against unranked teams, and that trails only Clemson at 34 and then Alabama at 98, which is actually ridiculous. But basically they trail the two guys that win every year. They trail the two guys that win the championship every year. And we're not getting close to that level of respect, nor should we. But still, let's take that into account. They've won 24 straight at home. That's four away from tying the school record. Like, just just take that into account. Uh, your model sucks if it doesn't, Bill Connolly. And everybody else that just thinks they're going to lose to, like, I just don't understand how you, how you expect them when they've been so consistent for four years now to just all of a sudden all hell's going to break loose. So it just doesn't make any sense to me. Um, and I don't know. I'm very frustrated with all of it. I really am. But, like, it's just very annoying, and, and I would like more respect on behalf of Brian Kelly and the Notre Dame football program. In a way, it sort of makes me more excited about this season because now it seems like this could be like a statement year for Notre Dame because I think, you know, it's June. You and I can candidly say we don't really expect Notre Dame is going to be winning a national championship this year. We say that now. Talk to us again before uh, Florida State. I still think they could win every game on the schedule, though. No, for sure. Which is the thing, yeah. True. I think Notre Dame could, if Notre Dame were to go undefeated in the regular season, I don't think that'd be like some giant shock to us. Maybe the national right. media, clearly it is. But to us, no. But are they probably, are they going to beat Alabama, Clemson, or Ohio State this year? You know, probably not. But. Oh, can we also go? Sorry for cutting you oh, off. This, this reminds me of somebody else that annoyed me. And <laughs> I, he has me blocked. You've got on a Twitter. list. You're like the, yeah. uh, you're like the guy from, um, What's the movie? Billy Madison, where he just has the list. Yes. Just him off. So Stuart Mandel and Bruce Feldman of The Athletic both ranked Brian Kelly this past offseason as their number three coach in college football. And I'm listening to their podcast last week, and they're both saying, you know, Florida State could give Notre Dame a lot of problems tonight one. They could they could beat them. Like Florida State's improving. And it, and they compared that. You already talked about this with 2016. They compared that game to a potential Notre Dame, Texas, 2016 type game. If you ranked him as your number three coach in the country, why the fuck would you expect that regression from him to lose to Florida State? Like it's just, it's not consistent, and that's what I keep going back to: be consistent or don't do your job. I, that's why I switched progress, uh, switched professions because I wasn't consistent enough. You might want to do the same. <laughs> um, I I have no retort. All I got. <laughs> all right. Um, let's talk some recruiting. Uh, it is the off season after all. We're in the midst of an unprecedented time in recruiting because the NCAA officially lifted the dead period on June 1st, which shut down all in-person contact between college coaches and high school prospects for 15 months. 
recruiting is always considered to be like the wild, wild west, but now it's just kind of chaos with so many schools and prospects trying to make up for lost time. Notre Dame hosted its Irish invasion camp at the beginning of the month. It's their huge showcase every year, well, except 2020. And this year, 70 prospects participated. And in the days afterward, Notre Dame offered about a dozen of those player scholarships. Some of those guys were already committed, have scholarships, etc. So right now, Notre Dame is the third-ranked class, according to Rivals.com. But that's going to change because the pure number of commits plays a big factor in these rankings. We discussed this with Singer in the past. And for comparison, Alabama is currently 13th. Um, with seven commits, and Clemson is all the way down at 25 with just four commits. This is clearly a side effect of the dead period. A lot of the top recruits are waiting to make an official commitment until they're able to truly experience the recruiting process, which makes sense. So with all of that in mind, Luke, what are you following most closely now that the, the floodgates have essentially opened and recruiting is back? Class of 2023 makes me feel really old, first and foremost. But um, Disgusting, <clears throat> outside though. of that, yeah, outside of that, um, you know, there's a linebacker. I know that we're really going after hard um, from Hawaii that for a long time USC was seen as the leader in the clubhouse. But since Freeman's hiring, it seems like we've kind of taken the lead there. Um, apparently he goes by Junior. I'm not going to try to butcher his name because I will butcher it if I do. Um, but he sounds like he's a heck of a player. Uh, he tweeted out a, a picture yesterday of him and Manti's old number five, and that definitely brought back some positive memories. But I guess more than anything, I'm just intrigued to see if Notre Dame actually does what they've been saying they're going to do for the last 18 months, and that's target a top five recruiting class. Uh, I don't know how feasible that is. I think it should be done, and the way Marcus Freeman talks – you would think that that would have that same sort of effect on the rest of the coaching staff to make it happen. But, you know, I'm really intrigued to see if where we shake out because, like you said, sheer volume seems like that's going to be a tough task. But um, interested to see how things shake out. Yeah, I think the spotlight on Notre Dame recruiting is bigger than it has been ever before, at least in our lifetimes, just because of you know Notre Dame's consistent success on the field. But it's clear that there's a talent gap between them and the top teams, and that can be made up here in recruiting. I don't think that this month, although it's a massively important month for Notre Dame, I mean, hell, this week alone, Notre Dame is hosting nine official visitors, and that's not even, before the weekend. So between Monday and Friday this week, nine official visitors, plus a couple unofficial ones in the class of 2023. Like I said earlier, most of these guys are probably not going to commit anytime soon. They're going to wait it out and at least be able to see these places for the first time in person. Um, so Notre Dame's class is definitely expected to take a dip. If they could finish around like six or seven, even finishing top five does seem unlikely just given who is on the board, who Notre Dame is targeting. But it's just something to follow because these official visits going into this upcoming class and the year after, it's a massively important time. And I think that the dead period is going to have ramifications that, you know, last for a very long time, not just in college football either and really all college sports. But one is what we're talking about this week. One recruit to look at is uh, Jalen Sneed. He's a four-star linebacker out of South Carolina. He's the number 46-ranked player in the class, according to Rivals. Notre Dame is considered to be the heavy front runners, and now they're just really trying to lock down the uh, commitment as soon as possible. Even though I just said most of these guys are probably going to let it play out, it seems like Freeman and the Notre Dame coaching staff are really hoping to get that locked down soon. So that could be two elite linebackers committed into this upcoming class, and it's exciting. It's like the Marcus Freeman effect. You're actually seeing it now in real time. And it's just kind of crazy. Like we've heard about it. Now that it's happening, it's it's pretty exciting. It is, uh, and I'm definitely excited to see kind of 
exactly what the end result of that is. And, and hopefully we can have Freeman here longer than just this year or the year after that. But definitely feel encouraged by kind of just the way he speaks about recruiting and, and how to go out and get guys and excited to see that in action now, now that we can have guys on campus. Yeah. So just keep an eye on that over the course of the next month and really for uh, throughout the rest of summer as recruiting ramps up here. Well, actually we plan to have Mike Singer on again at once the month is over to sort of summarize the craziness for us. Um, and sort of recap everything and then it tell us a little bit more about this class because I think that we haven't really had a full dive into the commits and targets in the class of 2022 and potentially 2023. So as you wrap up here, um, you got anything to say about the Notre Dame baseball squad? I know that you were you jumped on the bandwagon hard over the last couple of weeks. Yeah, it was the biggest two-week fandom period of my life, um, but they were honestly a blast to watch. College baseball should be more popular. I don't know how nobody told me about it until like two weeks ago, but devastating game three loss to Mississippi state last night. Uh, I think we're going to have to get Mike Leach on the schedule so we can beat him by 50 to pay him back for that. Um, but really honestly a fun ride. Uh, looking forward to going to Omaha someday. Just you got to sign link Jared up for about 10 more years and see what he can do with that program. But really just uh, a nice change of pace from kind of what we were used to when we were in school or the baseball team was horrible. So, uh, so definitely exciting to watch and, uh, I really enjoyed it. So shout out to those guys and, and looking forward to seeing them build on that success in the years to come. Yeah, it's a shame Notre Dame wasn't really competitive while we were there. But then again, it's it's not necessarily surprising when you think about the difficulties yeah. that the baseball team has to go up against. Being in the ACC, going against some baseball powerhouses and just from a pure geographic standpoint, like if you're playing college baseball, do you really want to be playing in, you know, early March at South Bend when there's still snow on the ground, when you could go to big schools in the South, like, you know, Florida state is always a powerhouse and the schools on the coast where the weather is nice year round. I get it. And it's pretty incredible what link Jarrett was able to do in such a short time. It's only a second year. And now Notre Dame um, looks to be competitive for a while. So it was really fun watching them. I remember when I was uh, the color commentator for Notre Dame women's softball. If you didn't know that, yes, I was the color <laughs> commentator for Notre Dame women's softball. I'm not gonna lie, man. I had fun as hell at those games. And a lot of the girls in the roster were from like California and all over the country. And I was like, why on earth would you come here? But like coach Gump, shout out, built herself a solid program. Maybe link Jarrett will be able to do the same and um, start being able to recruit players from around the country and hopefully this is uh this becomes a normal thing now where you know in the summer we're watching irish baseball on tv and then hopefully in omaha yeah absolutely i mean you saw last night just kind of what that atmosphere was like at an sec stadium like oh it looks looked so like cool. it looked like a program and then you look at notre dame's tiny little 2000 seat stadium which you can pretty much see right down the right field line from my condo if i'm just sitting out there in a lawn chair like 300 feet away not no way Sorry, way more than 300 <laughs> feet away. your backyard. Yeah. yeah, it's not, but it feels like it because yeah. it's, it's so quiet. Um, but, yeah, no, definitely excited to see them build upon that success and uh, see see what they can do moving forward. All right, that's the show. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe, and maybe most importantly, help spread the word. Summer is great, but as we get closer to the season, we'll ramp up the content over here and hope that you guys like us enough to help continue to grow this thing. Like we said at the beginning, summer break is over. Uh, we have some pretty exciting stuff on the way. So until then, uh, take care, and we'll talk to you soon.